Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder, treason, and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Welcome to Now Playing's DC Comics Hitmen Retrospective Series. There are only murderers in this room. Continuing our look at movies based on DC Comics characters, Arnie, Stuart, and Jacob will be reviewing the film adaptations of Road to Perdition. This is the life we chose, the life we lead. And there is only one guarantee. None of us will see heaven. A history of violence. You got anything to say before I blow your brains out, you miserable prick? V for Vendetta. Are you like a crazy person? I'm quite sure they will say so. The Losers. I am a lethal killing machine. It was a secret government experiment. Did stuff to me. Spooky stuff. The Kitchen. Just to be clear, now we run this neighborhood. Red and Red 2. Eh, they don't make them like that anymore. These podcasts will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Because it's all so fucking hysterical. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, Billy. Let's show this asshole we mean business. Today we're discussing The Kitchen, starring Melissa McCarthy, Tiffany Haddish, Elizabeth Moss, Dom Hall Gleason, James Badge Dale, Brian Darcy James, Margot Martindale, Common, Bill Camp, directed by Andrea Burloff. This is the now playing co-host who's good at the messy stuff, Arnie. And queen of the mix, Stuart. And this is the host whose only skill is taking a punch, Jacob. Look, there were maybe a dozen people in my theater, and I can say with confidence, not one of them there was because they've read a comic book. (laughs) What is this? This is a DC property? Well, it's a DC Vertigo property. Vertigo is like their prestige label. You think about Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. That was its root. Swamp Thing's roots? Is that a pun? Sure. (laughs) I think about Swamp Thing having roots. (laughs) But, you know, that was when they wanted to go darker and more mature, they created this Vertigo imprint. We've talked about it before with, like, Harvey Picar. And and it was just stuff that was more adult-oriented, not in a porn kind of way. Just it wasn't superhero stuff. They moved away from that, and they tell a lot of different kinds of stories. It's kind of sad. It's going away as of January 2020. DC has decided to get rid of that imprint. They're going to just call it, like, DC Black. But this was a DC Vertigo eight-issue series. I read it, of course, because I'm the comic book guy, and I'll say it's got an interesting hook, just like this movie. The women of some Irish mobsters got to take over. I just don't know how interesting it made that concept, and I think a lot of that I put on the writer, who was a first-time writer, and I don't know if he's done much other. Yes, he. I know we're going to talk a lot about women, but it was written by a guy, and writing comics, it's tricky. It's its own art form, and so first-time people, I think they kind of struggle, and and I wish things were fleshed out more, but it got a good hook. It's got some good subplots. Overall, it wasn't a great seller like I looked up the numbers it started with its first issue at 12,000 copies and ended around 4,000 copies being sold so not a huge built-in audience for this property it was designed as eight issues and no more it wasn't canceled yes it was just a mini series. That's what Vertigo typically does. They'll, you know, have these short run stories and, and then they'll put out the graphic novel version of it. Okay. And when did this come out? 2014 to 2015. Okay. 
I don't know what would have been going on that would have made that the hot property for this kind of story. But I certainly know why now, in this day and age of Time's Up, why you would say, yes, Hollywood got that pressure. There were protests, there were campaigns. You don't greenlight enough movies made by women. And this is going to be a movie largely made by women. It's going to star all women. It's going to be directed and written by a woman. The cinematographer is a woman. This is women at the helm. I am happy that women are stepping up and getting these positions. To preview my thoughts, I wish it was doing better movies, but I don't know if this is really a badge of honor that women step up and make crap. Well, okay, you really tipped your hand there. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I won't use the word crap yet. What I would say is I'm intrigued. We are in interesting times where I feel like men are both excited and frightened by the prospect of women in power. And we've had a lot of glimpses at that, and it's been a theme of the United States, certainly, for the last couple years, about what would that look like, and would it be better than a world led by men? I think this is a story to be told now. And... When I went to go see how did this comic book do with the reviews and that, it got a lot of praise for that initial concept. Hey, women taking over the mob. And look, I haven't watched a lot of mob movies, a lot of mafia movies, seen the Godfather trilogy. But yeah, I don't know if this had been done before. But again, I like the hook that mobsters' wives have to take over for them when they go to jail. Has that been done a lot? I don't know. I just don't have that extensive knowledge of mob cinema. If you're asking, is there a precedent for this in cinema? Yeah, I can think all the way back to John Cassavetes doing Gloria. Jenna Rowland's picked up a gun and took on the mob. I thought it was done actually very well last year in a movie that kind of got overlooked here in the States called Widows. It was an adaptation of a BBC miniseries done by the director of 12 Years a Slave. Viola Davis led the cast and it was exactly this premise. What do we do now that our men have screwed up and we're mob wives? Can we step in? You know, I heard a lot of complaints that it was implausible, and that might be. I still bought into the reality of the world they built. I thought it was very exciting, dramatically well-conceived. I'd give it a high recommend. I'd give it a mild recommend. I thought it was good, not great. It was entertaining enough, but some of the storytelling was clumsy in my mind, and the end reveals. It didn't keep me till the end of the movie, but I liked the acting and I liked the premise. So it's been done. The answer is they didn't get there first, but can they be the best? Can they be the biggest? And can they take the zeitgeist and run with it? That's what I'm hoping when I'm sitting down for this. But I I can honestly tell you this didn't bring a whole lot of people. I don't think it's expected to do very well. It didn't even have a Thursday preview opening. I could have gotten and seen Dora the Explorer Thursday night, but I could not see this. I couldn't believe. I mean, I realize that they're not really pushing this as a DC comic, but this does have a DC logo at the beginning of the movie. I was stunned and flabbergasted that there wasn't a Thursday preview. I can't remember the last movie we've covered. I mean, everything has a Thursday preview. Tarantino had Thursday. Here's the thing, Arnie. I live out in L.A., and sure, if I wasn't lazy, could I have driven somewhere like downtown L.A. to see this Thursday night? Nope. It was playing in two theaters 40 miles away if I wanted a Thursday night preview. Like, not even in L.A., the movie town, did this get that preview night. And not only that, but this was initially slotted for late September, October, which is when you start getting into Oscar season. I think that when they put this movie in the green light, they were thinking about awards potential. And then what often happens when the suits sit down to see the final result, they don't have confidence that what they've made is, in fact, an award winner. Let's find dumping grounds. 
Mid-August is exactly where you go when you haven't delivered a summer blockbuster or an Oscar contender. Yeah, it's like the last dumping ground. It used to be January, February, but now they've seen that like February you can make a lot of money in. August, we're really the dog days of summer movies here. So what you're saying next week when you do Angry Birds 2, you don't think that's going to be best animated nomination? I think that the first movie came out in May of a summer, and the fact that it's coming out in August means they didn't think they had Toy Story 4. I'll just put it that way. But you know what? Expectations are one thing. I'm still rooting for these women to do it. Being undervalued is what this movie is all about. Okay, so the suits didn't think this movie was going to be a hit. I still, from the trailers, thought that there was a chance. It helps that I like the genre and I like the period. 1978 Hell's Kitchen, I'm gay. And I didn't believe this movie was coming. You kept telling me about it, and I'm like, they're not making that. You're like, where's the trailer? And then, like, the next week, the trailer dropped. You're like, dang it. (laughs) And then, of course, I was just dreading a 70s mob movie with Melissa McCarthy. I was just envisioning the worst. Yeah, you weren't dreading a 70s mob movie. You were dreading Melissa McCarthy. Because I've never found her funny. Melissa McCarthy blew me away, and can you ever forgive me, last year? she I would have given her the Oscar. I thought she was phenomenal. Yeah, I was lukewarm on the movie, but I thought she was great in it. But when I saw the trailer for this, I actually got my hopes really high. I don't like Melissa McCarthy's humor, but... The trailer for this made me think she could actually do drama. Maybe she's been misused this whole time and put in this one-note role that always felt like Mimi from the Drew Carey show. Maybe she actually has great acting ability when let out of that. And the 70s, the mob, I really like Elizabeth Moss and the stuff I've seen her in. I had high hopes for this movie to be a sleeper success. I really thought that this movie could be one of my favorites of the summer, and it would just be an underappreciated, underseen movie. And then my hopes dipped a little bit when I started to just see headlines. I don't read reviews before we do our recording, but I couldn't escape people posting on Facebook the 15% Rotten Tomatoes score, and I'm like, oh boy, I guess maybe not. So I went in with moderate expectations to an empty theater on a Friday night. I mean, premiere night, Friday night, the night everybody goes to movies. They didn't go to this. There were seven people in my theater, counting myself. And I went to see this Friday as well. We all had to see it Friday because there was no preview night. But I went Friday morning. I went to the first viewing. I didn't have to go to work that day. So I went to the first showing, 10 a.m., in their smallest theater, the one with, like, I counted, I think around 60 seats only. Tiny little theater. And I counted. I was able to count the people. There's about 16 of them, all older people, because I guess that's who goes to the movies at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Friday. But more people than I expected. So nobody saw this, Arnie. You're going to need to give them the plot. We'll get through the kitchen. In 1978, Hell's Kitchen was run by the Irish mob. That organization is led by mob boss Kevin O'Carroll, played by James Badge Dale, but he really got his power from his mother, Helen O'Carroll, played by Margot Martindale. Kevin is married to Ruby, played by Tiffany Haddish, though the marriage is a little rocky due to Helen's hatred for her African-American daughter-in-law. Kevin's two lieutenants are Jimmy Brennan, played by Brian Darcy James, and Rob Walsh, played by Jeremy Bob. Jimmy is a decent father of two and married to Kathy, played by Melissa McCarthy, whereas Rob is a piece-of-shit wife-beater married to Claire, played by Elizabeth Moss. When an armed robbery goes south, Kevin, Jimmy, and Rob are sent to prison for three years. This leaves Ruby, Kathy, and Claire left to struggle on their own. Acting mob boss Little Jackie says he'll take care of them, but the money he gives isn't enough to make the rent. 
When one of Jackie's goons lets slip that the mob is low on cash because people aren't paying their protection money, Kathy and Ruby see an opportunity to pick up where their husbands left off. They visit these businesses and find out little Jackie isn't giving any protection for the money, so the three women start to collect the money and Kathy's beefy cousins ensure the businesses are protected. When Jackie finds out the women are muscling in on his turf, he has their enforcers beaten so they can no longer work for the three. When that doesn't stop the women, Jackie tries to rape Claire, but she's rescued when Dom Hall X Machina, Dom Hall Gleason's character Gabriel, shows up and kills little Jackie. You think he's named for the Archangel Gabriel? That's where I was kind of going with it. Gabriel becomes the gang's new lethal enforcer, training Claire on how to kill and dispose of bodies. And with little Jackie dead, Ruby, Claire, and Kathy take over. But Ruby's mother-in-law, Helen, tells Ruby their reign will be short-lived because their husbands will take over when released. Ruby eventually murders Helen. They expand the mob operations and get the attention of the Italian mob in Brooklyn, so the Don Alfonso Coretti, played by Bill Camp, meets with the women. They agree to cut him in on their business for a greater section of Manhattan. During all of this, Claire and Gabriel fall in love and begin a relationship. Things go south when the three husbands are released after only 16 months in prison. As Helen predicted, the men want things to go back to how they were, with the wives back in the literal kitchen and not running Hell's Kitchen. When the ladies resist... Ruby's husband, Kevin, puts a hit out on the three, but Coretti gets word of it and, due to his business relationship with the women, he agrees to Ruby's request to have his men kill the rebellious sect. Kathy objects, saying her husband Jimmy and young kid Colin aren't involved, so they're both off the hit list. But Colin breaks into Claire's apartment, killing her, and Gabriel and Rudy both blame Kathy for her death. Finally, Kathy's husband betrays her by going to Coretti, trying to cut Kathy out of the business, so Kathy lets Coretto kill Jimmy. Yet this was all a ruse! The entire thing was orchestrated by Ruby. She was sleeping with the FBI agent who arrested the three men. The whole job was a setup. Ruby then manipulated Claire and Kathy to run the mob, as Ruby knew a black woman could never take over Hell's Kitchen without an Irish front person. Now that she has the power, Ruby and Gabriel try to kill Kathy, but Kathy is backed up by all the union contractors for whom she secured jobs. Gabriel leaves, and Ruby and Kathy come to an uneasy alliance, realizing they need each other to keep control of the mob, and credits roll. And as credits start, we see some retro. I love the old New Line logo. Haven't seen that since the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Now, the second one had it too, but yes, that really took me back because that logo means I'm watching a Freddy movie to me. <laughs> I also like the really old WB logo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we saw this earlier, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, just going for those retro movie logos. And the DC that they're using is not going to flash superheroes. It's DC Vertigo. We don't see Superman, Wonder Woman, none of that. Yeah, I mean, we're covering this because DC published it through an imprint. I don't think of this as the main selling point that, hey, it's this great comic book. I mean, we we talked about Road to Perdition and other films that, yeah, based on comics, but people didn't go see it because those comics were huge. So, you know, they're giving credit to DC because that's where the property came from. I don't think that's the main focus of this crowd, though. In Hollywood, that buys you the currency. Hollywood is more likely to greenlight a story if it's based on something. Being based on a comic book means that's better than this being an original concept, but this is basically, yes, an original concept. Yeah, I totally agree. We talked about with Cowboys and Aliens, how the guy couldn't get it made as a movie, so he went to the comic book industry and really fudged the numbers to tell Hollywood how great that comic sold so he could sell the rights to it. So yeah, this is more or less, yeah, you, you couldn't get maybe the script sold. I don't know if that's the case with this writer, why he went and did it as a comic, but yeah, I agree. The original concept, it would be, except there's a comic it's based on. 
And speaking of writing, that's one of my biggest problems. As we start into this movie, Andrea Burloff has fashioned a story that is built on montage. One of the things that really irritates me about the way the kitchen unfolds is that it's not constructed with full-blown scenes. There is not a beginning and a middle and an end to each moment we watch. It is a flow, which has worked. I mean, I blame Goodfellas. Goodfellas made it look easy. Scorsese said you could just have a guy narrate all his mob stories and I'll put pictures to that. And that's a movie. And for that movie, it worked. But it rarely works for anybody else, including Scorsese again in Casino. I think that in general is not something you should try to emulate. If you're going to be calling out these montages, one of the things Melissa McCarthy said is, if you're going to greenlight female-led projects, that's great. Why are we given half the budget of the male-led projects? It felt like they went to the AM gold version of classic rock for all the songs here. I cannot count the number of movies I've heard Barracuda in. If You Don't Love Me Now, Well, You'll Never Love Me Again was in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. These are 50-year-old standard songs. They're period appropriate, but they're so overused in films like this that I also have to think they're cheap. Yeah, I kind of figured this film, it's already a hard sell just because it's not a superhero film. It's not a Star Wars film. It's not a Jurassic Park. You know, it's not a franchise film, R-rated mobster film. They got to appeal to as many people as possible. So I guess they go with the most generic 70s soundtrack. Like if I know every song from a 70s period piece, yeah, you're using a pretty standard AM playlist, I guess. You tend to see that on the ripoff movies. You know, we focus on the great ones. We covered The Godfather, Goodfellas, recently Once Upon a Time in America. But when you look at what most people do, this is exactly it. Pastiche, copy, take the songs everybody knows, takes the looks that we expect. This does feel like a comic book movie in the sense that the color palette is very crisp and clean and that this is 70s light. Like, this is period in the same way those Annabelle movies are. Like, (laughs) all the costumes are a little bit too clean. There's no tatters. There's not a lot of stains. They want to seem gritty, but really there's a sheen of play acting and dress up to it all. Yeah, I praised Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for really making that feel 1969. And I saw some behind the scenes stuff after we reviewed that film where they talked about how they would put up newsstands and they went full of Kara Kurosawa where they're like, have 1969 newspapers on the newsstands. You're never even going to see them, but they're there. I guess so that vibe comes through the screen. This will, you know, we'll get a big shot of the kitchen and with all the marquees, you know, playing grease. And it does just feel a little bit too plastic, like a little too composite CGI to me. Yep. The thing about Hell's Kitchen for me is it had this reputation I knew about long before I ever went to New York. It was just in all kinds of movies, even before I read comic books, Hell's Kitchen was known as the bad area. I mean, it's hell. I mean, like, does that connotate, like, you wouldn't call a real estate property. Welcome to Hell's Cul-de-sac. I mean, yeah, it's a bad place if it's named after hell. But... What I didn't realize until I started going to New York is how close to Midtown it is. Like, I walked through Hell's Kitchen all the time going from Times Square to the Javits Center. Hell's Kitchen is a very small area, but it is very central Manhattan. It's also not very hellish anymore, right? No, they don't even call it that anymore. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah, it's Clinton mostly. What I think is interesting is that, yes, we're talking about Hell's Kitchen, the title, but our main stars are also literally in the kitchen. That is the often said chauvinistic thought of, well, that's women's place. At the beginning of this movie, our three stars are, in fact, wives that are relegated to domestic work. 
Kathy is supervising homework. Her husband, Jimmy, is the one going out to do a thing. And Claire is going to be in the kitchen getting some ice because her husband has just punched her. And... Ruby is called lazy because she went and got Miller's when she didn't walk the extra block for Schlitz. And I will say this is the Ruby character. That's probably the biggest change from the comic as far as the characters go is in that comic, it was three white Irish women. I know you could be black Irish. And so I was wondering, is this trying to do the colorblind diversity thing or is there going to be a reason? And I think they are going to justify and add to the story by bringing an African-American housewife into this. So I'm glad that pays off. But I was wondering, I'm like, what was the purpose for changing this character? Well, I do think that Tiffany Haddish is everywhere these days. And she had a lot of clout after Girls Trip. And I think that she used that box office to say, put me in this movie. I read this script. I want to be a powerful mobster. So she found the screenwriter who had done Straight Outta Compton and made that appeal. Yeah, the thing I know her best from is a comedic role in Keanu, the Key and Peele film about a cute little kitty cat. But I know her as a comedic actor, Melissa McCarthy, comedic actor. I, I read some just regular people reviews after seeing this. And they're like, this was not a comedy. How dare they put Melissa McCarthy and Tiffany Haddish in this and it not be funny. I know Tiffany Haddish mainly from stand-up and a wonderfully awkward Oscar nomination reading. <laughs> yeah. but... Oh my god, yes. <laughs> That's really, a yes. Hallelujah! He know his name! Yeah. <laughs> but... The trailers made this look like it could be a comedy. They, like, rode that line. And with... Did they? I never got that vibe. The second trailer, where you have the three women sitting around, and Melissa McCarthy's like, Oh, I lost count of all my money! <laughs> and all the girls laugh. And in fact, there's moments of that throughout this movie, where, like, the women are all tough, and then the men leave, and the girls just all break down, like, Oh my god! Did you believe we did that? That would have felt better in a comedy than in this movie, but... I think people wouldn't be wrong to go in expecting a comedy. I'm going to say right now, I would like this movie better if they flipped the roles, though. I think Tiffany might have been better as Kathy, and that Melissa might have been better as Ruby in this. I think that there is, despite bringing in a person of color to be one of the three women, I think this movie actually reinforces a lot of negative stereotypes about Irish and black people. It's like, yay, women! Go drink your liquor, Irish people, and black people, you're all evil. So it kind of gives and takes. Yeah, we'll talk about that as the story progresses, but I just want to say in general, in my estimation, Tiffany Haddish is out of her league. Dramatically, she can't keep up with the other ones. She doesn't have range. And I'm sure it was a learning curve for her to come on this set and realize she couldn't do her shtick, which is what she does on every other set. And she tries... I know that she's going to try to cry. She's going to try to do what the other two are doing. She is not convincing. I feel bad for both Melissa McCarthy and Tiffany Haddish because they got to go up against Elizabeth Moss, who I don't love everything she does. I'm talking about you second season of Handmaid's Tale, but I always like her, it seems. I think she's a great actress. I uh, saw a new movie of hers called Her Smell, where she plays like a Courtney Love punk rocker. Not a horror movie, but she is terrifying in it. Like, great actress. Yes. Elizabeth Moss, always the handmaid, never the fist, right? Like, you know, <laughs> hear that she's the battered wife, feels in her wheelhouse, Mad Men, what have you. She has always been undervalued. You know, she's the weak one that will learn to be the strongest. And so she will have the biggest range. She will be the one to learn to not flinch when she's cutting up bodies and actually enjoy the dirty work. 
Elizabeth Moss is having a year. She was great in Us earlier this year. Here she is as the third lead. But yeah, I agree. Both McCarthy and Haddish pale in comparison. I came in legitimately. I mean, we've reviewed Ghostbusters 2016. I've had my say about McCarthy. But I came in legitimately open-minded, thinking maybe Haddish and McCarthy could show me new aspects of their character. I think Haddish did better than McCarthy. Haddish shocked me, the fact that I really believed her during the first half of this film, and then she becomes a little bit more herself during the second half. McCarthy is fine, but she's shown up by the other two. I don't get that. She is obviously very good in this role. I disagree. I don't buy her emotional scenes. I was really left cold during some of her crying scenes. Haddish is the one that hasn't done this before and isn't going to get a lot of calls to do it again. See, and I feel Ruby had the biggest arc of the three. Here in the beginning, you can see that she's a frustrated housewife when she has her husband going out to do the job and she didn't get him the right beer. But her character, Ruby, will have some turns that I didn't see coming and that I feel Haddish does really well. Okay, I don't think at any point that Haddish is convincing. She gets through it, is the way that I would look at it. And yeah, she does have a very important role. We don't know it, but she's working with the feds that are watching their husbands as they leave their wives and head off to this one last job, this really badly explained, we need to get a new racket in the savings and loan stuff, but first we gotta rob this liquor store to get the seed money. I don't think it's savings and loan, I think it's loan sharking. Yeah, loan sharking, which, (laughs) look... We know how savings and loans went in the 80s, so maybe the same thing. But look, I had issues with the pacing of the comic, and and I like that this kind of builds up the situation a little bit better. But why can't they just be collectors and their wives take over? Like, that is the basic premise of the comic here. They're going to try to make it a little bit more complicated. They could have got busted for the same reasons, though. Yeah, a lot more time needs to be devoted to every scene that I see. Actually, there's not one moment that I don't think would benefit from having three more minutes. Then you might want to blame the comic because that was my issue with the comic is like, and again, I blame first time writer not understanding the medium. Yeah, nothing felt fleshed out and it feels like that kind of got translated here. I don't know. The decompressed storytelling in comics makes me think an eight issue comic would be a 15 minute short. Not even decompressed. It just felt like I wasn't getting enough information and it just moved on too quickly. It just assumed too much. But that is the screenwriter's job. I take this material, it works in one medium, I need to make it work in a film, and Goodfellas lingers. Even though it's montage, it will spend a long time setting up characters, setting up relations. Yeah, maybe the individual scene doesn't pay off in some larger plot scheme, but by marinating in the mood and spending time with people, you're allowed to develop relationships with all the characters. No sooner have we met these guys than they're gone. I felt the same way. This movie is just a bit over an hour and a half. I found myself while watching it struggling to keep up because there's so many characters that come in and out of this. And I got to remember, all right, who's married to who? Because we get literally one scene at the beginning with each husband and wife pairing. I can keep track of who the women are, but their names come and go. There's a lot of mobsters here. And what I found myself thinking was, we look at something like Goodfellas and The Godfather, we're talking two and a half, three hour movies. And I don't think I have a problem with any of the characters here. But if you took those movies and cut them down to 100 minutes, they'd be overstuffed too. And here, I find myself 
just seeing characters come in and out with underdeveloped plot lines because you don't have the time to spend with them. You should have either cut characters or made the movie longer. I agree with you. It is the screenwriter's job to adapt this. And I felt the same way, though, with the comic. The only way I really was able to tell the characters apart, the three main women, there's a blonde, a black-haired one, and a red-haired one. And like that's how I primarily went throughout when I was reading that, identifying them. Because, yeah, it, it wasn't very clear, and that didn't get cleaned up here. At the same time, I'm not going to blame this film for not being Goodfellas or The Godfather. Like, this is a 100-minute mob film. Like, this is not having ambitions any further than that. And the day and age that we live in, it's obvious that this shouldn't have been a movie at all. This should have been a season of TV. This whole first five minutes could have been the pilot setting up how the women are going to have to do it on their own because their men at the 30-minute mark went to jail. Instead, we're going to do that in 10 minutes, and we're going to condense the entire season into 90-minute clips. Look, we're th three dudes talking about this film, about women, and written and produced by women, and yeah, do I want more time developing these relationships to really see where they're at? I, I feel like there's a lot of shorthand, maybe for women, that works, because they could identify more, but my point of view, coming as a dude, yeah, I want to see these relationships built up a little bit more, not so much shorthand, just to understand their situation a bit better. Flip the script on this. If these were three guys and their wives went to jail, I'd still feel many of the sub-characters are underdeveloped. I'm not saying Kathy, Ruby, and Claire are underdeveloped. The whole movie focuses on them. I'm saying Gabriel, Kevin, Jimmy, the mother-in-law Helen, the mobster across the river in Brooklyn. These are the characters who we don't get to spend enough time with so that they actually feel important to the story, especially Gabriel. The way Gabriel comes into the story frustrates the hell out of me. Yeah, Helen, let's focus on her. If this is about female mobsters, here's someone that already is way up in the family. And it's Margot Martindale, who is primarily known for TV, like a lot of these actresses, but has real dramatic range. She had a really good run on The Americans. I like her a lot. She gets two minutes to make some kind of joke about Joseph and baby Jesus, and that's it. We just have to infer from the fact that she is a large woman with guys sitting around her laughing that she has power. And nothing is really done to explain how she got it or what that relationship looks like between her and her non-biological children. Yeah, it's said that Kathy, the Melissa McCarthy character, her mother was in the mob and Kathy's family had run Hell's Kitchen since they came to America. She says that line. It's in her bloodline. So why this Kevin O'Carroll is the acting mob boss and his mother Helen is like the godmother to which everybody must suck up, I don't get it. And there's not enough time to explain it. Yeah, this is really a problem for you guys because this film, again, it's a 100-minute mob film. I'm not expecting The Godfather. We didn't find out Marlon Brando's backstory until Godfather 2. Like, yeah, you talk about montage. Things are told to me in montage. Arnie, you've praised Michael Bay for being able to take stereotypes as shortcuts for understanding characters. These are all cut-and-paste mobsters to me. I get who Helen is. And I think that these aren't just stereotypes. These are intending to be different characters. You, you talked about how they're stereotypes and just drinking their whiskey like an Irish person would. Yes, they play into stereotypes, but I believe especially the female characters need to be more than that here. And Margot Martindale, this is probably my bias. I primarily know her from the TV show The Millers. And I could not take her seriously as a dramatic actress. I just kept waiting for the punchline because she made the same facial expressions and used the same inflections on the Millers. But 
There, she was a completely ineffectual ditz, and here we're, I'm supposed to believe she's a mob boss. Again, I don't know her. I've seen her in a lot of stuff, but I don't know her from a lot of stuff. And so I just never take her seriously as the matron of authority. See, I don't know who she is. I thought she was kind of terrifying in her very passive-aggressive, not so, not so passive sometimes, but I thought she's a credible threat for this little film. Again, she did this in The Americans, and you're right, it's cut and paste. I am dinging the movie for that. It's like, that's lazy to me. Oh, let's just take things from a bunch of other mob movies and we'll throw it all in the stew. All right, but you better be cooking up something else. I don't like the fact that you're resorting to that. I do think the best mob movies are the ones that, yeah, spend half an hour at the wedding and establish everyone so you know what's going on, so you understand what's going forward. But what they're telling us here is nobody really matters except these women who have been undervalued and in semi-abusive relationships. Yeah, when I look at Helen, my go-to for comparison wasn't a movie, but The Sopranos, especially the first couple seasons of The Sopranos. Yes, you have eight hours, eight episodes to go through it but Helen to me never had the menace that Tony Soprano's mother did on that show you know and there I felt it was established that she was married to the mob boss and able to pull this off here I felt like this was trying to ape the Sopranos in that regard and doing so poorly yeah you guys keep bringing up Prestige TV with The Sopranos and Coppola with Godfather. To me, this just feels more like a 70s exploitation film about the mob and, and wives. Like, that is really how I'm approaching it because it never told me it had grander designs than that. I hear what you're saying, but this should be aspiring to something. If not The Godfather, then what are they trying to do here? This is a story that we're told about women finding their power, so let's see them do that. What happens is that basically they're motivated by the fact that they know they can't go the next three years with their husbands not bringing in money, and what they're being paid off by the new guy, little Jackie Quinn, is not enough to stay on. And the more they dig into this, they found out that little Jackie, was he always in charge? Because they make it seem like he hasn't been protected the entire neighborhood for a long period of time. And all the hair salons, the restaurants, the grocers, the reason why they're not paying into the mob anymore is because people are robbing them and this Irish gang doesn't care. I'm not sure how much time passes before the women step up, but I definitely get that little Jackie took over when the others went to jail. Well, they tell us that timeline. January is when they got busted. March is when they get the jail and these women realize they don't make enough. And so they decide on a whim, really, like, why don't we just step in and protect? The way they do that is honestly very clumsy. They go to see little Jackie and... This is true from what I know of real world mafia is if something happens, your husband is killed, your husband goes to jail, the family will take care of you, but it's not in the lifestyle to which you're accustomed. It's not what you were getting when your husband was an earner, but that they go to see Jackie take a plate of cookies and <laughs> one of the capos there is like, we don't have any money. People aren't paying their protection. Well, who's not paying, you know, and just dropping it like that. Jackie, I get the impression, is not competent enough to lead a mob, but man, he's got stooges for underlings if they're just going to tell anyone off the street they're not getting enough money. They catch a name of Sully's Restaurant, and from there we see them talk to more and more people, and so we're presented with the idea, and this is fascinating to me, this is where I'm really intrigued, that women could be doing the same thing that male mobsters do, 
and it would look different. Not only can they do what the men do, but they would actually be better because they are care providers. Because they take care of children, because they're in the kitchen, they would actually be better to all of these businesses than men who don't have that nurturing instinct. That's fascinating to think about, and I'm wanting to see why they are better than little Jackie at this, but then it's montage again. All we understand is Claire takes a gun and shoots a pimp, Yay. And now the hookers are what? Liberated? They're better off? I mean, why are we to presume that all these businesses are better because it's women instead of men? The comic, you know, there is a scene where they go and they rescue a hooker, but they're like, we're not going to get into the pimp business. And I felt like that was very much, you know, we're women. We're not going to exploit other women. Here we see Ruby and we'll find out because she has much grander schemes going on behind the scene that she'll go and she'll take those women. She's like, you work for me now. I honestly found it to be undermining that the only way a woman could take over is by offering to wash the windows. I mean, they go to that diner and they're trying to find out why he's not paying. And it's because the windows got graffitied and they want his money. They're like, well, my kids could come and wash your windows. I'm like, show muscle, show toughness. Mm. No, no, this is what I'm saying. This is what I like. That's not what the women would do. That's not what mothers would do. They wash, they clean, they make cookies. This is a different way of looking at organized crime. That's the hook for me. It doesn't have to be about balls. They're going to get a salon on their side because they'll help a woman get her hairdresser license. Like, they'll fudge that. Don't go there to get a haircut, in my opinion. But I get what you're saying, Stuart, is that they are going to give a different view. Kathy, Melissa McCarthy's character, is going to tell us, like, we could do this better because we're smarter. So, yeah, we'll see that. But they still do got to get muscle. Like, they're going to hire a couple big Irish guys to be their muscle and provide protection protection. The thing is, if you're going to get in a protection racket... I do need to see that, and I'm glad they get those cousins in there, but I'm not going to pay protection money to somebody who washes the windows. I'm going to pay protection money to the person who breaks the knees of the person who washes the windows. I understand maybe this movie will only work for women who are happy to see empowerment through window washing, but I'd like to see empowerment through stepping up. Well, you're going to see that, I think. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. First of all, this is all going away very quickly, and very soon they will just be shooting people. Everything goes away very quickly in this movie. I mean, that's the problem. What I'm saying is we're on the verge of seeing a mob movie we've never seen before. This is a concept that has not been done. Here are women that use women's work as a way of being a mob. The world has never seen that. And yes, what happens after they clean the windows? That's an important detail that men would miss and that is greatly appreciated by these shop owners. But eventually, yes, when the guys come back that rob the ice cream with the guns... What are these window washers going to do is something to dig into. And instead, montage, we're on the dance floor, we're firing guns, and we're going to skip over all of the drama that this movie promised. Yeah, every time we get a montage is an act change, basically, or a story change, because the first montage is going to be them taking over and just all of a sudden they're flush with cash and envelopes everywhere, big wads of cash everywhere. 
little Jackie is the villain of Act One. He's not going to allow this to happen. And so they meet him on his turf. He has a bar where he hangs. They're sitting in his chair when he walks in after he's found out what they've done and beaten up their male goons. It's really Ruby because we'll find out she's been instigating all of this, her grand plan that just caused the guy weak, wouldn't do nothing, you're finished. She baits this guy into an attack that ends up being a sexual assault on Claire. Strange choice. Yeah, I would think he'd get his men out to murder them, not that he would go alone to rape one of them. I feel like that's a really bad choice. We keep talking about way back in movies for years, how there's unnecessary sexual assault. Here we have a movie by women about women with an unnecessary sexual assault attempt. I think the point is that he's underestimating them, that he doesn't need to hire people to go out and wipe them all out. He could do it himself. And yeah, it playing to that sleazy, oh, I'm going to rape them and sexual, you know, it not great storytelling. I'll give you that. I get what they're saying. To me, it's not an issue that he thought he could just do it himself. But he didn't underestimate them. He would have succeeded in assaulting her and murdering her had there not been this new character just strolling by with a gun. Right, but this is the character that's going to train them into being what they're going to become. A character who's never been set up, never been mentioned. You need to at least have somebody say, oh, if Gabriel was here or something, or talk about why Gabriel ran away. This just feels like poor writing that all of a sudden he's there and he's ready to save the day for them. Yeah, no, it is terrible. Yeah, and that they have to spend the rest of the movie explaining, hey, I did some business and I went away, but I only came back because I really loved you. And the whole love story for Claire here is bizarrely injected into act two. It should have been one of the goons that they hired that could have taught them, here is how we do it, and then they can put their own spin on it. But here's the thing. Up to this point, they were telling me, I thought, that women can run a mob differently and better than men because they are more nurturing. At this point, going forward, is this a fall from grace? Is it sad that they're going to just start cutting up bodies in their tub and throwing them out in the pier? I'm not rooting that. Are we expected to just cheer the fact that they become as ruthless and heartless as the men that abuse them? I don't want to get into a whole debate on feminist theory and all that, but I think that is one road of feminism that, yes, women can be just as ruthless as men. And and that is one view like that's why we're equal, because we could do all those dude things, too. And this is one of the few scenes I did get a laugh when they're cutting up this body and, you know, oh, you got to get right behind the knee and cut the cartilage and stab the lungs to get all the air out so they don't inflate back up. If you're in the mob, you can't be washing windows forever. You're going to have to get your hands dirty at some point. And that's what I was saying with the window washing. This is where I think they're finally stepping up and doing what needs to be done. I do think this bathroom scene, they're really wanting it to be the Goodfellas dismemberment scene, and it is just not pulling it off, though. Be that as it may, it's doing what you claimed you wanted from them, which is you wanted to see them be tough and all of that. Is that not a fall in morality? I mean, when Michael Corleone secedes his father, that's called tragedy. That's really sad that he hated his family and ran from it and ended up becoming what he hated. And Ray Liotta was ruined by his dreams of wanting to be a mobster. These are not empowerment fantasies. And this, I believe the people that made this movie, I think they only thought about Scarface. We want to see bitches be Tony Montana. It's Tina Montana, and that's awesome. I agree, and I do like this second act better. The only way you're going to make it 
as a mafioso is if you're ruthless, you're going to have to kill. You're going to have to maim. Where the mafia gets its power is muscle. They don't get their power by being nice. If you don't pay them, they're going to hurt you. So here is where I feel they're really ascending to mob boss status. My biggest issue is, again, Kathy said we could do this better because we're smarter. We'll see that like Ruby, she's definitely got schemes going on. I see the women using their smarts against each other by the end of this film. I don't know, maybe because they go and they'll make deals with the Jews and the Italians. Maybe that's showing them being smarter because they're expanding the business. But I don't see their day-to-day methods being any smarter. No. Early on, Claire asked Gabriel to teach her how to kill she actually kind of gets into the whole tub violence let me have a leg here and then she goes and decides she is going to just shoot the homeless man that jumped her when she was volunteering at the soup kitchen and we're supposed to think it makes her look powerful that she blew away a homeless man (laughs) i know that was not the right choice it's They try to make this emotional scene. We know she's been beaten by her husband, and we're told she even lost a baby. She was pregnant, and her husband beat her, and so she had a miscarriage due to the trauma. And when he goes to jail, this homeless guy shoves her into a door while he's robbing something, and she takes it all on her. I'm intended to be abused. I let all men beat me up. This homeless guy. I mean, that is a victim mentality. It is. And if it were handled as a tragic decision that she felt the only way that she could be whole was to hurt someone the way that they hurt her. To me, that is always a sad choice. That the victim becomes the victimizer is not something I ever am standing up and cheering. Like, that's awful. And the homeless guy didn't have it out for her. She came in on the homeless guy while he was robbing someone. He shoved her while running to go and kill a homeless person that's like kicking a dog that is not tough yeah he may have been strung out on drugs he's obviously poor yeah you took something that was not personal and made it about you it is a weird way to show that she has been empowered from being an abused woman like i love the moment elizabeth moss is acting it's just a small little moment as she sees her husband getting hauled off to jail just that little smirk on her face in the courtroom i'm like oh that's great but yeah the fact that this is her moment of standing up for herself is is going after a home. Like, I didn't even realize it was the same homeless guy until you see him get thrown in the trunk. I'm like, oh, that's who they just shot. I thought they were going after some other gangster or something. Yeah, even more upsetting of this mentality is Ruby goes back to give her mom some money and she goes, yeah, that's why I beat you as a child so that you would be this awful. This is a celebration of power? And the mother never plays into it. I thought we were going to meet a character that would become the new Helen or something here. No, we get this one scene of the mother saying, you were too soft, so I beat you, and now you're tough and giving me money, so beating you was worth it. I am mortified by the lack of consideration to morality, which is essential to every mob movie I have ever liked. You always consider the what you are doing is making you worse. Well, that's where Kathy's dad comes in, right? He's the sole voice of morality. The one character I like, yes. Larry, the (laughs) union guy, will pop up and eventually tell Kathy, I don't approve of any of this. I didn't approve of this marriage. And while I respect that you have two lovely children, you should not be married to him. You shouldn't be expecting payouts from these killers. And now that you're doing the killing yourself, I don't even want you to work for my union. Stuart, do you think this would work better for you seeing these characters do awful things and kind of embracing this immoral 
way of going about building up their business, if this was more prestige, if this was The Godfather, because moral ambiguity, that's in a lot of great films. Here, not a great film. I'll just say that right now, whether I recommend it or not. Not a great film. Not The Godfather. Not Goodfellas. But I see this in a lot of, again, exploitation films. Like, they're never great characters. They're always doing questionable things. That's not really why you watch them, to get a moral code from them. I'm just trying to get a beat on what this movie wants me to celebrate. And what it started out telling me was, these women are battered and victimized, it's awful, and they can do it better than what their abusers do. And now it's like, get them, bitches, which can be fun. Uh, That is an exploitation movie premise. You can be Quentin Tarantino and have the slave uprising. You can do that movie if that's what you're doing. I didn't think I was watching that movie. And now that we're in act two, I'm like, oh, this is very strange choice. I think I would be more comfortable with it. We have three different characters. Why not see three different people choose three different paths? Why don't we have some embrace and harden and it is a fall for them and some really struggle always to be in the church trying to redeem? I think we do see the different viewpoints because we have Claire who's going to go homicidal. Like, I really wondered if she and Gabriel were going to just be this Mickey and Mallory, like, crazy killer couple. And we have Ruby who's... We see she's sneaking money off on the side, and she's got a pool table full of money. She's being conniving, whereas Kathy, she's the benevolent mobster who's going to go to the union people and speak at their meetings, and they're going to buy her beers because she's getting jobs for people. That is how... A lot of the unions got jobs. They got those mafia enforcers. It is. And I am not asking for good morality here. I understand that being a mobster is always a sticky proposition. What I appreciate about the good movies is they show the characters wrestle with it. I'm Michael Corleone. Do I kill my brother Fredo? I spend the whole movie thinking about, is it more important that he's family or that he's my betrayer? I mean, like, you've got to give storylines that have characters work on this. These are all cheesy montages where, yeah, I kind of see that this is happening, but it's rolling right off of me and dramatically not sticking. Yeah, I feel like Kathy, she's the one that gets that role because she's the mother, she's the one with kids, and the father that doesn't approve. We'll find out Ruby, she's always been ruthless. It will be revealed eventually and has always been scheming. Clear, we're going to see her go from abused to abuser, or at least she's going to learn to shoot a gun and take out people and kind of enjoy it. I feel like that all falls onto Kathy if you want to see that, oh, here's someone that was good and now they're falling from grace. And is it great? No, I'll give you that. I'm liking this well enough during the second act. I mean, it's fine. It's washing over me. I'm going with it. The thing is, I take it as these three women were under no delusion about what their husbands did. They were already morally ambiguous because their husbands were going out to do a thing and coming home with money. They knew what that thing was. And now they're stepping up and doing it themselves. I don't view this as a downfall for them. I see them as going from allowing it to happen to doing it, but I don't miss the Michael Corleone drama. The promise that I guess believed in that you did not was that they could do it better. And by better, I mean more humanistically. No, they do it better by being bigger and being more ambitious and by relying on their wiles. Yeah, that's the zero-sum game. That's the way for mass annihilation. Nobody wins when you have that mentality. And that is crushing. And that's how I kind of feel about a lot of these films where, yay, women and me too and all that stuff, which I want more stories like that. I'm not saying don't do stories about women where they're empowered. But when you go to something like Ocean's 8 and like, we could do a crime just 
as well as the men because we're going to wear jewelry and sparkly dresses. It's a conflicting message. And again, I get it. It's a conversation between gender equality and femininity and masculinity and like, what does all this stuff mean? It gets confused though. And it just feels like, yeah, here's the hook. Here's women. They're going to do it differently. And no, they're going to do it the same. Maybe even better than men just because they're taking on those masculine traits of ruthlessness and violence. Well, here's an excellent thing they've set up for them. In the beginning of Act 2, as they're getting a feel for the neighborhood, they go to talk to the Hasidic Jews. And they're trying to sell their brand of protectionism, which has worked for a lot of their Irish clients. It can also work for the Jews, except the Jews have issues about women, and they're already protected by Brooklyn. All this stuff is really good. The clash of culture, I like seeing that. What I don't like is the easy fix of, well, let's just dump pig guts on their jewelry storefronts, and now they have to. Yeah, let's resort to anti-Semitism, which I guess you should expect from the mob. I don't hold them as high uh, bearers of racial equality, but yeah, it, it plays weird. Like, they try to downplay it, I think. It's like, oh, here's a bunch of guts, it's probably pork, but then we'll throw a bunch of trash bags on top of it, so we can't be accused of going too far. Yeah, I said at the beginning, this is a step forward for women and a step backward for every other type of people who gets it worse here? The Hasidic Jews, the Irish who are always drinking, and Kathy can't have a cup of coffee without some whiskey in it. I mean, these are just broad strokes that, you know what? If you're going to say women are going to do it better and be more caring about it, then Andrea Burloff needed to be more caring about her characters. This is a film that angered me the more I thought about it. When I was in the theater watching it, I was like, it's a mob movie, you know, it's not as good as Widows, but it's not terrible until the end. I feel like it gets terrible at the end, but here I am offended by its portrayal of Jews and Irish and African Americans. I think you got something on the blacks. If you want to ask which group comes away looking the worst, I'm going to say the blacks do. What Tiffany Haddish does is indefensible and she should be executed for what she's doing. And she says she does it because she's doing it for all blacks. I yeah, mean, all black, I believe the quote is all black people care about is getting power, which is sending the civil rights back to the Stone Age. Yeah, this is what angered me in retrospect, but even sitting there, I am offended by the just, it's like Burloff has never met a Jewish person. If the whole point of Me Too is to bring forward representation for women, it shouldn't do so stepping back and going, but it's okay to stereotype drunk Irish. Well, here's the thing, I, 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 and it's not just an issue with this movie, it's an issue with our cultural dialogue at large. Like, I like Ruby's character, I'll put it that way, how it's written, how it's acted, maybe there's some issues there, but I like that, oh, here's a marginalized person within a group of marginalized person, a black person within these marginalized women, and she's going even more extreme. Here's the problem is when your film mostly revolves around identity politics, like, oh, it's women, so we should cheer that they're taking power away from men. But what does that mean? And I get it. There's a million films about white dudes doing that. And we just go, yeah, they're great or they're passable. I probably don't think they're great is the truth of the matter. The assumption is that it, we cheer when men do these things. I don't like when anybody does morally reprehensible things unjustified. And that's what I'm saying. It becomes more of a problem when it's just like, we got to wrap all this either racial or gender empowerment into one character. And even if they're ruthless and say, this is just black people taking power you could do that in a constructive in a well-developed way or you could do it like this where it's just very lazy writing 
Yeah, if this is Scarface, even Scarface, to me, played like a cartoon or a comic book. If you're going with that comic book aesthetic about like what we value in America. And this guy is like the worst representation of someone that wants to get ahead. This is what capitalism looks like on just a grotesque, cartoonish basis. And so we can laugh at it for that. But I am never cheering on Tony Montana to feed people to the tigers. I feel like I've been in a room like laughing with people and now I realize like everyone else is in a different club than I am. And I feel very alone and scared if people want mob movies because they like the idea that they eventually will be able to get the bats, the axes, and carve up the bodies. That to me is terrifying if that's the fantasy. I'm scared of a female-led mob if the thought is, well, now we can go and kill all the men. And if this was a well-thought dialogue on the genders and women's place and men's place and all that, I don't think we'd have these issues. It's just that this is kind of a frivolous film. Yeah, agreed. Far too much is being stacked on this film because it's the only one of its kind. If you didn't see Widows, which is, again, an excellent film that came out and was completely ignored, oh, about nine months ago. Don't worry, this one's going to get ignored, too. I don't think it's excellent. I think it's good. I thought it was a perfect three-star movie. Someone pledged so we could talk about Widows (laughs) in its own show. (laughs) Anyway. At this point in the picture, it's March 1979. We're finding out that they're bumping up against someone that they really can't bump off. Alfonso Coretti is the biggest guy going in Brooklyn. And lucky for them, he is entertained by what they do. He doesn't want to annihilate them. He actually thinks that they're valuable. Hell's Kitchen is about to have a convention center built there and that these women can help his guys get jobs for five or six years. Yeah, Javits, I love this. I This is true. This is the thing that turned Hell's Kitchen into Clinton is because they built this huge multi-million dollar convention center. I found it funny that this convention center I went to to two to three times a year was going to be a crux of the story. But if you're going to have a sisters are doing it for themselves, the women are better mobsters movie. Here's where I feel like it kind of fails in that thesis because Coretti is all powerful and he's going to tell them, you're not going to beat me in a dick measuring contest. I'm the smartest person in this room. I have information you don't. Now, maybe that's very realistic that these startup Irish people weren't going to be able to overcome the Italian mafia. But at this point in the movie till the end, if Coretti didn't have them under his wing, they'd be dead. And one of the big subplots from the comic that they cut out here, which I found interesting, involved the Coretti character. In the first issue, when the women are collecting so they could get that money, they end up having to kill a guy to show how tough they are. And it ends up he was a made man in the Italian mob. He didn't die. He's in a coma. Will he wake up? Like, there's always that tension. And will the Coretti character find out and then go against him? Here, this is where it does feel like we're just going to use those stereotypical shorthand shortcuts here. He's the Italian mobster. He's the godfather. So, therefore, be scared of him. I like the tension more in the comic because they knew they had knocked off a made man. And you know what that means if you've seen Goodfellas. And so, will he wake up? How do we get rid of him if he does wake up? So, our new Italian partner doesn't find out and come after us. Yeah, you need that. Instead, Coretti just feels like an amused older man that's just going to allow them, yeah, to be protected and to have tension, to think that he could turn into an enemy is where you want. Uneasy alliance. I mean, the one thing about the mob is you never know when the bullet's going to come. Your friend can be the one that's going to put you down. You just never know who's your friend or who's your enemy. 
And the extent of this film is we'll see Coretti's wife and yes, yeah, sister power, you know, it, it, you would go give it to those men. I'm right behind you. Yeah, behind them quite a ways as she's never going yes. to stand up to her husband. But yes, there are so many times in this movie where I'm like, okay, their alliance with Coretti is going to break and they're going to have to stand on their own and show that they can. No, never. This one meeting is going to create this totally unrealistic alliance that Coretti is going to turn down money to keep this alliance going. These women must be very profitable for him to protect them like they do, but we are never shown or really told that. The movie should focus around the building of this construction site. Like, this is then what the rest of the story should be, but this quickly goes away. Like, so much of this gets all over the map and really a mess. It's too bad. Because I do feel like the acting is pretty good. The film, while a little stagey CGI, it's professional. I mean, it's there are enough things here to make me wish it was a whole lot better. I have no complaints at all about the cinematography, editing, effects of this movie. I think this movie looks better than the script deserves, honestly. Yeah, the, my problems are basically with the way the story is unfolding in this Goodfellas-ish montage. And all of a sudden, Ruby's just decided, she said it early on, Helen is going to kill me. And I feel like that deserved more than lip service. We needed to see a whole lot as to why Margot Martindale would, I mean, it's subtext, Here's a black woman in Irish Hill's kitchen. So we can read that as, well, of course she wants to kill her, but I feel like you deserve to give more to that storyline. Here, it becomes this very bizarre, I'll just shove you down a staircase. Like, you want to check that. Like, you don't want to just push her and run. Yeah, good thing she snapped her neck falling. Like, she could yeah, I agree. It's like, wow, that, that was a lucky fall for Ruby. Yeah, it's like four steps. Yes, it's like not even a flight. And- I don't understand why Ruby does it at this moment. Are we supposed to take from this an insight that Ruby is backstabbing? She's going to pretend she's taking you to dinner when in fact she's planning to kill you. And thus, this is a character trait that will reveal itself later that she's manipulating the other women as well. Because she has such animosity with Helen this whole movie, and I did love the fact that Helen was coming to them for a loan and wanted to borrow from the loan sharks and Ruby was going to love the look in her eye when she tells her, no, I won't loan you the money. I wanted to see them beat her through their own power. Pushing her down the stairs is really lame. Yeah, I actually feel like you don't need Coretti for this movie. If this is about women in power, that is the interesting boss to fight. Here is a woman that through hereditary has control over the Irish mob. Why can't you work with her? Why doesn't she support your endeavor why is she always saying well your husbands are going to get out of the jail soon and you're going to be reduced to nothing i feel like this movie would have a lot to say about that if it stopped and took a minute I think it would be honestly a more powerful movie if Helen was the big bad. If Helen, who had been involved in the mob forever, maybe she had Coretti as a contact. Her husband had made deals with the Brooklyn Italian mob, and when the husbands came out, Helen was really the one orchestrating the coup against these three women. The fact that Helen gets pushed down the stairs and that's the end of her story, in a way, this does feel like a comic book if each issue is its own self-contained story and feeling very disjointed, but as a whole cinematic experience, every character I think I should care about is dispatched way too quickly. 
Right. I knew where we were building. We all did because we were giving that ticking clock of three years to go to jail and we've watched the years go by. They're going to get let out early. They've gone a couple times to jail to visit the husbands and you can tell Kevin's not happy that Ruby doesn't even want to see him. And once they get out, they get the full picture about how nothing has been left for them and that these women have built something they're not allowed into. The men, little Jackie, felt a little lazy. Like he wasn't even doing his protection following up on collections. These women are more proactive where they have cut all these deals. And I feel like that is a big difference between them and what the men do. And so, that yeah, that is the tension. Now that they've built this empire, how are these husbands going to react when they want their old jobs back? Right. And Kevin screws it up. He is the one to go out there and go, oh, the feds are on us. Let me go shoot this Martinez guy while he's reporting back to the office in the phone booth. Well, he didn't know that his wife was in bed, literally in bed with the feds. I thought later on we saw it was Common who shot this guy, not... Yeah, I thought it was the other FBI agent that shot him finally. The other FBI agent's the one who killed this guy. Oh, it was? Yeah. Oh. That's what they tell me with the flashbacks when we get the big reveal. Mm -hmm. Oh, well then I misunderstood something because we see that hit go down and then we see him holding a gun. Yeah, then it cuts to Kevin, yes. Okay, but you're telling me that in another quick montage that went by too fast for me to notice, <laughs> Common has been evil all along as well. Yeah, when, when they're revealing that Ruby. Yeah, just two evil black people that care nothing about all these white people. <laughs> ice them all. And kill the Hispanic too while we're at it. But yeah, yeah see that's a, in a movie where every trigger pulled, we've seen the person holding it. When we see Martinez go down, that's a murder mystery that I really hooked into. Like, okay, was this Ruby? Was this Kevin? Would I be taken completely by surprise that it was Kathy and she's become bloodlust? Because the whole thing we're supposed to be worried about is the feds are closing in on these women. The feds are supposed to be the threat. Yeah, we see that they're bribing a cop to get information, anything he knows about them closing in, a cop that didn't warn them about the FBI the first time with their husbands. Yeah, there's another one of those scenes when they see him in the bathroom where they act all tough at the moment the men leaves. They're like, oh, we're girls and we did it! Yeah, I wish they would have cut all of them and made the women look tougher. Right? Why can't women be girly? There's so many bro scenes like that throughout the history of cinema. It, I'm not going to get so upset over this. Yeah, and I think it's more important that women don't have to act like men. Again, why can't they be femme? Why can't they enjoy wearing the jewelry and be girly? Like, oh, absolutely do that, but don't be, oh my god, we actually pulled this off on him for the whole movie. It's not like they ever stop doing that. If they did that in the beginning and then became used to it, it's one thing, but every time they get money, they just like giggle. And I think at some point they should become professional. If men did this throughout the whole movie, I'd have the same complaint. But they grew into their power. And what you're telling me is you like what they've grown into. Yes. Whereas I have had the opposite reaction of like, at first, I'm enchanted by the idea that they're stepping into roles that are uncomfortable. And now I think that they're all pretty repugnant. No, I like seeing it specifically Kathy. You know, Ruby, we see that she's going against them and we don't know why. She's stealing money. She's going to meetings without telling them. We know Ruby has something going on that's against the others. We see that. But I really do like the relationship between Gabriel and Claire. And I am worried about Kathy and her kids. I don't want to see the husbands, the FBI. Everything's turning against them for this third act. And I'm rooting for them to keep their power. I can meet the movie this much. They have built something, and the fact that these guys are coming back, I thought Kevin screwed it up by shooting the mob guy because then all of a sudden Ruby's asking for a divorce. Why is she asking for a divorce then? She just 
is done with him? Like, why didn't she just have him killed during the shootout? Why send him to jail? Because she had only paid off one of the FBI agents. If he started shooting, I that would be a little suspicious. Okay. And they get beat up at the beginning. Like, it ends up being the cops coming in to arrest the men. I also have to believe, even though this is out of character for Ruby, but I have to believe she's a little conflicted. Because what we're going to find out is Kevin put a hit on all of them and went to Coretti and said... We'll give you $75,000 to kill these women. And Ruby stands up and says, we'll give you 100000 to kill the ones who were going to kill us and another 100000 to kill our husbands. And when Kevin does get killed, she cries a little. She's actually sad that this verbally abusive husband who she only married to use and say black people can't get power and i only came three times while i was with you in all these years yeah all of that scene yes you're right that is the scene that is supposed to get her the oscar of like okay she does have a heart she had some feeling for this guy and there's tears as she tells him get rid of the body i just don't buy the tears because she was so cruel to him and she's not very good But I have to just think that she was conflicted, and that's why she didn't start by murdering them. And obviously, Claire is going to love the fact that Rob is killed. I mean, Claire is going to get her ultimate comeuppance. She's like, nobody's ever going to hit me again. Rob's going to come to her new apartment, punch her in the stomach. She's like, hit me again. Punches her in the stomach again. She shoots him. No great loss there. But Kathy... Are we to think she still has the femininity and the family values that she's saying, my Jimmy wouldn't be, have be part of this, don't kill my husband, and this little kid Colin wouldn't be a part of it, he's too young, don't kill Colin? Yeah, I mean, I think that she's trying to have some moral compass. That Ruby has gone to the point of like, let's ice everybody and shown her hand. She's pushing people downstairs and murdering everyone indiscriminately. And so, yeah, I definitely think you push back on that and think maybe we don't kill everybody, Ruby. Let's slow your roll. But yes, she has no reason to think that Jimmy would sign on to murdering her. And indeed, he doesn't. He will eventually go to Coretti, not to ice her, but just to have her not empowered. Like, he just wants her to return to the kitchen. So maybe that is worth killing or not. You could make that case as you built up to it in the movie, but it's not as extreme as these other men. And what Jimmy will say later is, you never made a place for me. Would he really have been okay being a capo to his mob boss wife? I don't believe it, but that's what he's going to say. No, he w- he would want to be in charge. Yeah. He obviously feels like he could be in charge. He- he's going to go straight to the head of the Italian mob in this area and just go, hey, let's make a deal. Like, that's a lot of cojones right there just to, to think you can do that because you're a dude and the one in charge right now is a woman. I like the fact that earlier Coretti said, your husband's tried to get meetings with me, but they were never important enough. He met with the women and now he is meeting with Jimmy because by being married to those women, Jimmy became important enough. He became important through marriage, not through action. Jimmy reminds me a lot of Al Pacino and Donnie Brasco, his loser lefty. Yes. Of the guy (laughs) that, yeah, he wants to roll with the mob, but we saw in the beginning, he didn't even want to do the liquor store job. He was always pushing back when it came time to do the tough guy violence. He didn't really want to do it. And so 
Would he be okay with it had she created an environment where he could be powerful and not have to go pick up guns and kill? I think so. I think they could have worked something out. It didn't have to end the way that they want this to end. But I don't think that this writer can conceive of an ending for her characters that she clearly loves with men at their sides. It doesn't look like empowerment to her. And so sharing power is not an option. They all must lose their man. To me, that's not representation that all women must do it one way. I think it would have been nice to see three different women have three different paths to power. And if one of them kept a husband in doing so, I don't see that as a problem. I think Kathy is trying. I mean, I don't think Kathy has any intention of dumping her man. She's going to work at it. Claire has also found a man. They have gotten their own place. She has gotten rid of Rob on her own, did it all herself, cut up the body and everything, just like he had taught her. Good for her. (laughs) I guess that's empowerment for some. I mean, it could be seen in a Joe Pesci kind of way as empowerment. And I think it is supposed to be. I mean, she takes the body into the river herself. She dunks herself. I saw that as a metaphorical baptism that she was free of abuse. Barely metaphorical. It's so obvious that it's a baptism scene, that she's renewed in a new person. Yeah, but of course, now we're getting back to traditional mob movie morality. This can't last forever. You can't do all of these bad deeds and not expect for it to come back. And that the one guy that Kathy said, spare poor simpleton Colin, because he's the guy that doesn't understand how it works. You'll remember he has one little moment where he ran to them from bits from the butcher. Yeah, something about meatballs. I didn't really get it. I did not remember Colin from that. I do remember the meatball scene, but I had no idea who this Colin was they were talking about. Again, these sub-characters don't get enough time. Yeah, what we were to learn from that millisecond was that he was (laughs) softy, and he was just concerned about people getting the tchotchkes and the favors. He wouldn't have blood in his mind. He wouldn't come and kill them. The fact that he is the assassin that comes to Claire in her bedroom, she's faster on the draw, she shoots him dead, but she doesn't shoot and kill him, he is able to get a shot off, and it is fatal. That did have me jump. I did not expect that he would get that shot. And when the bullet went, I thought for sure there was somebody with Colin. Like, he didn't go on this hit alone. But no, it's Colin laying there on the ground, just happened to get one shot off that was instantly fatal. I predicted every single thing in this movie except the turn of Ruby. Like, I knew that was coming. I was just like, yeah, they're going to kill someone, and it has to be Claire. It has to be clear because the scene before this was her talking about, oh, let's have a baby and have a family. You're dead. Yes, that's exactly where I was. The moment they're like, we're going to have children. I'm like, you're going to have a gravestone. Yeah, a lot of this feels telegraphed because it is taking from so many movies we know. There are so many things about this movie that remind us of other movies that you can just kind of follow it. And in that way, I think that's what we're talking about. It's easy enough to watch this movie because it just rolls over you as just another version of the same old song. And this is going to anger Gabriel because Kathy was the one to say, don't put a hit out on Colin. Because he was spared, he was able to get that shot on Claire. So he's going to side with Ruby. They're going to team up and catch this plan to lure Kathy in a deli and take her out. And Kathy knows. I appreciate that she's smart. I don't know how I feel about how she handled Jimmy. Again, another character that can be conceived to have a man. I believe she wanted that relationship to work. And yet... Very quickly, for questionable reasons, she tells Coretti to kill him. And here's the troubling, I guess, amorality that I struggle with, Stuart. You you had that a lot, it seems like, with this film, is 
at the wake for her now dead husband, you know, she sits down with the father again, who's always, is not approved of any of this, and he's finally proud of her because she did this for her children, and this feels like the very female empowerment moment, no, I did it for myself, but it's also kind of horrifying because the way we think of mothers, and yes, they're protective of their children, that, no, this wasn't to protect your children, it wasn't for your family, it was for yourself because that's what feminism is all about, Again, painting in broad strokes here, but to some people, yes, it's job and career above all else and let the man stay home with the kids, which is a conversation they actually have in this film. But it is a little like, oh, this isn't even about your family. You are so far gone. Now it's just about your place as a woman rising up in power. And it doesn't feel like it's really a film about the Godfather where you're going to throw all family aside to be the one in charge. I think she tried to find the balance. She is going to pride herself on knowing when her kids get out of school and being the one to pick them up. And I think that she wanted to be a mother and a career person. I took this statement to mean that she did it for herself to feel safe. The speech really is, I gave all this power to all these men. And during all of that, I never felt safe. That all of their quote-unquote protection, she's like these salons and these restaurants. At the end of the day, they don't really care what happens to me. I could get robbed. Things bad could happen. I don't know if that's true with Jimmy or not. Again, how much time did we have with them? But because he took the kids to the meeting with Coretti, she feels like that's enough to say, all right, you're out. Yeah, that seems like a stretch. I mean, given that she's going to say, I didn't do it for my kids, I did it for me, but yet her whole rationale here is you brought the kids to a piano store, you didn't know this guy, he could have killed them. I mean, we also have Coretti's wife again putting a fine point on it, they always screw us over. Yeah. I thought the they she was referring to was the Italian mob. I didn't realize Jimmy would be the one in there. (laughs) No, it's men, it's men that always screw the women over. Yeah, even though this movie's about women screwing women over... Yeah, I mean, I get that you do this. Again, you always do this in a mob movie where you have to kill Fredo. This is the scene where I love you, but you have to die. And that's good dramatic tension. Not properly set up. I get that she felt like she had to choose her children's safety over this relationship. It could have been written better, different way. I could appreciate with it. Instead, I'm horrified that Larry congratulates her daughter at the funeral. I'm proud of you now. Good job. I'm okay with anything else you do, Mob Dawn daughter. I would have preferred a get out of town kind of thing. You know, you see that in all the Westerns. Jimmy didn't have to take a bullet to the head. You could have just said, all right, you fucked up. If you come back, you're dead. And left that hanging. If you have any thoughts of a sequel and the way this movie ends, I got to think they might. Jimmy being out there and possibly returning later would have more weight than this I guess they shot up with a silencer because the kids hear nothing. I think it's a pretty soundproof room. I mean, it is the mob. Yeah. And it it is. It's very much like Godfather 2 with the music in the background and you can barely notice what's happening on the boat out there. Yeah. I Again, nice try, but I'm not buying it. And again, I'm horrified that the one character that I've been championing this whole movie of like, yes, this guy understands how bad all of this is, is now completely okay with Kathy the killer. I'm shocked that he's going to show up with a sledgehammer at the end to protect her. I can't believe that. I actually went with his turn when he thought it was for the kids. He's always loved his grandkids. He said, you know, you and your husband made beautiful kids, but the husband's still rotten, but I love these grandkids. So to say... Good job on protecting your grandkids, okay? But when she does, I did it for me, he should then be appalled. He should be like, oh my god, what has happened to this daughter of mine? I want nothing to do with you. That's what I'm saying. It should be a more shocking moment. 
I don't see that moment the way you guys are seeing. You seeing that as some kind of confession of selfish, destructive quality. No, I think what she's trying to say is in order to be a good mom for her children, she had to be a good example and take her power. I think that's all that she was trying to get at. I don't think she was saying, I never cared about my kids. She did it for the kids, too. No, I I know she cares about her kids, but... The killing of Jimmy, which seems unmotivated, seems even more unmotivated when she says she did it for herself. Yeah, she killed their father. Like, that's not anything to cheer. Sorry. And so, the final showdown, Ruby and Gabe are holed up in the back of that deli. Kathy knows she's walking into a trap, which is why she's brought the entire union with sledgehammers with them. (laughs) And guns. I mean, I was happy to see that, because... You can have a sledgehammer, but a gun is going to be far more effective at long range. I was happy to see the Union people also had guns that they were going in with. And this shows, right, that Ruby was the evil one. The people don't like her, so she's there alone with Gabriel, whereas Kathy was the nice one. And so all these Union people who've been buying her drinks and giving her lunch, they've all come to back her up. Or maybe Ruby should have just been smarter. Again, we're told they could do it better because they're smarter and we've seen Ruby. Like, she's been pulling some strings. I don't know. Maybe bring some of those Harlem gang members with you that you've built up, that you've talked about, that we'll never see. Have more than just Gabriel show up to this hit. I know why this movie doesn't end with Melissa McCarthy killing Tiffany Haddish, but I do not understand why Kathy would keep Ruby alive. If she was behind everything, sent the husbands to jail, never cared about anyone, orchestrated everyone's murder, and now wants to push the Irish out of the neighborhoods, no, die. The end. Like, that's an easy choice. I, as the pacifist in this role, am like, just pull that trigger. That's easy. (laughs) She is irredeemable. That's the way it should have gone, that maybe they were afraid because it is an African-American. You don't want, oh, now it's all the white people. They're the ones who are going to take over. Like, there's some sensitivity issues there, but I agree, Stuart, for this story, Ruby should die. I don't think it's a race issue. I think Tiffany Haddish is just likable. She's just funny. She isn't good in this role, so we've never really believed. Yeah, is she likable in this role, though? Like, (laughs) She is enough because she hasn't sold me about how evil she really, she's undersold how awful Ruby is and how much she deserves it. I actually had the reverse. I believed that she was this awful, but I was just so appalled at what it's saying about black people as she is the only representation of black people in the film, except Common, who's literally in bed with her and killing his FBI partner to help her ascension. I thought that Ruby was evil, but Andrea Burloff was worse for writing it. Yeah, I can't imagine that we're supposed to be comfortable with, yeah, Common betraying the feds and Ruby betraying everyone she's ever known in this film, murdering them. Why would I want that to go on? Why would I want a sequel where she gets Harlem and Melissa McCarthy gets Hell's Kitchen? I just don't know. And this is why I say I think it would have been great if McCarthy and Haddish had flipped roles. First of all, I would have loved to see McCarthy take on the role of this evil manipulator, and then it wouldn't come with the horrible stereotypes, because there's a lot of redheaded Irish drunks in this movie. There's only one African-American. You could have just flipped those two. I agree. In the comic, because they're all white Irish, it doesn't carry those racial connotations as the sole African-American betrayal in the film. Like, yes, this film is so much about, here's this one woman and she represents all women. Well, now you have this one African-American character she represents all african-american characters i mean that that is the problem by changing the role the way they did it carries a certain weight and a certain meaning to it they owed ruby more nuance 
they owed that character to not be written off as, well, you know, her mom beat her. So that's why. I mean, like, that isn't fair. I think my problem is Kathy and Claire are so welcoming to her and put up with shit that she does early on. I mean, she tells Claire the only thing she's good for is to get hit. I mean, she's pretty ugly from start to finish. I don't laugh at that joke. If they had been more racist to her, if they had treated her as different for being a black wife and not an Irish wife, I could maybe understand why Ruby makes the choices she does. As written, she should go down. Agreed. I like the idea of, again, a marginalized person within a marginalized group. You know, even though she's a woman, she's still an outsider because of her race. So she's got to do her own thing. That's where it seems like you could flesh that out in a more serious movie. Again, this one is light and fluffy and not up to the task of tackling these kind of ideas and subjects. If it had been funnier, I'd go with light and fluffy. It's light and fluffy because it doesn't succeed in having dramatic weight. It's not light and fluffy by design. Correct. This movie aspired for gritty drama that was as good as any movie made by a man, and it's not. It does not. I don't know. I've seen plenty of crappy mob movies made by men starring men. Like, because this isn't Scorsese or Coppola is what you're saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's unfair. Like, it took a long time to get a Scorsese or Coppola. So what should the barometer be? What should, in your mind, this movie be compared to? Dick Tracy? No, just, I'm thinking of just 70s action films where, yeah, it's maybe because it's Tiffany Haddish, but I compare this much more to a blaxploitation film where you take a marginalized group and they you put them in power. And again, you watch some of those old films, they're not great moral characters, but it's about hey, here's someone that represents me in power, kicking ass like all those white cisgender male dudes have done in hundreds of years of cinema. It lives or dies, I guess, by its identity politics because that's what this film is there for. Just saying, yay, let, let all the ladies stand up and let's be empowered and it's not a great film but i think that's who it's going to play to if that's what they wanted then i should have understood honestly maybe i missed it but it seemed like the irish family was pretty welcoming to this black woman in their midst no you you watch that opening scene there's a lot of looks it's all helen helen represents all irish only just saying it out loud right and she didn't do anything she got pushed down the stairs we were told she's probably going to kill her we saw no justification that that was going to happen and to what Jacob said, maybe 15 years from now, we're going to realize this was a period of women's exploitation films, right? Girl exploitation, where we're pushing this forward. But I don't think this is going to be one of the championed ones in that period. This is no Dolomite. And if you're going to live or die on your identity politics, you can't pick and choose which identity politics you're going with because you make blacks and Irish and Jews look real bad here, especially African-American portrayal in this film. Well, that, yeah, is indefensible. Or is it? Let's get to the wrap up here. Jacob, Stewart, do you want to spend more time in the kitchen? Jacob. Look, if you want a great mobster movie, you want Goodfellas, you want Godfather, go watch those films. That is not this film. If you want a great film about what it means to be a powerful woman in mostly a male-dominated world and struggling with how do you balance that and, and artistic endeavors with having a family and children and what are your duties there, go watch Elizabeth Moss and Her Smell. Great film that tackles that subject. What is a woman's place as independent career person and as a family? family member and how do those come together there's some great films that do what this film uh kind of gives lip service to and i that's the thing with a lot of these films that are coming out of hey we need more representation of this group or that group they're not all going to be great films i'm glad they're getting representation i feel like there are so many bad 
films where maybe this wouldn't be such an issue just because we're used to it with men in kind of generic action roles and that kind of thing. Yeah, this is kind of a generic, mediocre film that if you try to judge it by its loftier ideals, it fails on those. As a piece of entertainment... It goes by fine. Like, here's the thing with our recommends. Like, what does a recommend mean? Sometimes when I recommend something, it means, no, you need to go out and seek this. Someone came up to me and said, hey, I like the trailer for The Kitchen. Should I go see it? Eh, yeah, why not? It's not one I'm running out there to endorse and say you have to see this. It's a fine piece of cotton candy fluff that's entertaining for 100 minutes. It's a weak recommend. Not a great film, but I have a hard time getting upset over it. It is a mediocre film like 80% of films are. Weak recommend. Stuart. I think you've heard my moral outrage that it's yes. <laughs> just gross to me that women's success has to be defined by brutalizing men in the way that men brutalize them. To me, that's not empowerment. That's sad. That's a tragedy. And usually that story does get played in tragedy in mob movies. But this is a comic book movie. And it told us that. Early on, DC Comics. This is not The Godfather. This is not those movies, as you've said, Take it as a fantasy, can I just get in the mentality of it's fun to watch mobsters do bad things? A litany of over-the-top outrage, Tony Montana in his prime. The thing I came to, the movie that I thought this most resembled in my mind, ultimately, it wasn't a mob movie. It was 9 to 5. If you remember that office comedy from 1980, it's a story of three secretaries. (laughs) They realize the office is going to run better if they run the chauvinistic boss, Debbie Coleman, out. They lock him up. And then they go in and they institutionalize real change based on their maternal instincts. They're able to bring in childcare and just make the office better so that when he comes back, you realize these women are better at it than he is. And it was cute. It was funny. Ridiculous film, but I like it. Recommend. Now we got a new version where Melissa McCarthy is Lily Tomlin. Elizabeth Moss is Jane Fonda. Haddish is Dolly Parton. But they're not funny. That's fine. But they don't have any ideas on how to do it better. They are squeezing people as well. And I don't see that it looks generous or kind or something that I would want happening in my neighborhood. Again, shooting the pimp, it's not helping women getting out from being hookers. Elizabeth Moss, the way she handled that homeless person. I can't get over the fact that this is not a fantasy I'm comfortable celebrating or engaging in. This is not fun to think about because of the things that they do. And so... I guess this movie wanted me to stand up and fist pump and go, you go, girl. But it's more like I want to elbow the neighbor next to me and say, girl, let's go. Like, get out of this theater. (laughs) This is not it. Go see Widows. Go see something else. When I was walking out, 9 to 5 is a good comparative. My thought was, did you ever watch A League of Their Own and say, you know, this is good, but you know what would make it better? Murder. Because that's that exact movie is the men go away to war. The women have to step up and play baseball. Still a dude in charge in that film. (laughs) Yeah, just like Coretti here. I figure Coretti's the Tom Hanks. And then the women start to get worried because the men are going to come back. And will they still be allowed to have their baseball career when the men return? There's a lot of parallels here. (laughs) But a league of their own strong recommend. And this... I feel like this kitchen really could have used Gordon Ramsay in it to shout at some of these people. I mean, he could scream at Margot Martindale, my grand could do this role better and she's dead and go to Burloff. This movie's so lost, Robert Stack is doing an episode about it. This script is so clumsy, it was banned by the Gungans. 
This film's climax is so quick I thought Tiffany Haddish was faking it again. This movie's so racist it voted for Trump. Not recommend. <laughs> like Jacob said, the best parts of it are mediocre, like 80% of all movies, and then there's some really toxic parts to this movie. Yeah, and I don't disagree. I think it's easy enough to skip, and there'll be a lot more. There'll be a lot more movies showing women empowered. I'm very comfortable feeling like the Time's Up is not going to live and die by the box office of the kitchen. I truthfully hope not, because it's a good movement, and this movie's box office is turning out to be lower than expected. Though, again, the formerly, or probably still, male-dominated Hollywood system has pumped out tons of this kind of stuff, starring dudes, and it's not seen as a big political statement or held up to big political lofty ideals. They're just mediocre, not great films. Again, yes, this tries to play that identity politics line a bit. I'm just going to throw it out and, and try to see it as just another film because I feel like that's the best way. Judge it like I've judged dude films in the past. And I'm actually really disappointed I didn't like this movie because... We're going on a string. Now, we've had some good Friday shows. If you've heard our reviews of Boogie Nights, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Once Upon a Time in America, I feel we've had a lot to talk about. I feel that there's been some good cinema there. Tuesdays, we've had Angry Birds, Hobbs and Shaw, The Kitchen, and it doesn't look any brighter for me with next week's Angry Birds too. <laughs> but they team up. It's pig empowerment. <laughs> All right, I got to admit, I laugh every time I see the pig in spandex. That is a funny visual gag to me. If the whole movie can be that stupid, maybe I'll enjoy it more than I have the previous three weeks. And then after that, we're getting to It. I know, I'll spoil now, I love It Chapter 1. So come September, at least I can give a green arrow, but I don't know about everything going there. Yeah, and I think getting back to King, I, I know our listeners are excited for that, especially It. That's one of the big ones. Yeah, blame it on August. We've had to review what's been put in front of us. This is what came out of the kitchen, and it was undercooked. That souffle has fallen. Yes. <laughs> but uh, you know what? We will be getting to things in the fall. I look forward to being able to announce our fall schedule. And yeah, there are definitely uh, titles, starting with it, that I think uh, people are really going to be excited about. But first, Angry Birds 2. And on Fridays, though, we continue to have movies that I'll just say... Some of the next four weeks, I love the movie. Some of my very favorites. So if I sound dour on Tuesdays, you can hear me sound excited on Fridays. This Friday, when Harry Met Sally is coming out for gold donors as we finish the last four weeks of our summer hits of 1989 loosely connected series. Yeah, summer of 89... Better summer than the summer we're living in, and a summer of real movie progressions. Like, things were done in that summer that hadn't been done before that influenced the reason why we have some of the genres and directors and styles of movies that we do. It all came out of that magical summer. I do hope you're able to join us for that series, because I think it's an extra good one. So, listeners, thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with Angry Birds 2. Until then, if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. This is Chopper 3. Prepare for extraction. My favorite part was when we were completely on fire, but the shootout, that was good times. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. Now I get to walk away. We all would have walked rogue. Come to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another DC Hitman movie. A more perfect stage could not be asked for. In the archives at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can hear reviews of hundreds of comic book movies, such as all the Batman and Superman films, the Marvel Avengers films, Spider-Man, 
Catwoman, Howard the Duck, Man-Thing, Kick-Ass, X-Men, and many more. You can also hear reviews of non-comic-based films, including Star Trek, Predator, James Bond, Rambo, Rocky, and more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. It's like giving a handgun to a six-year-old, Wade. You don't know how it's going to end, but you're pretty sure it's going to make the papers. While at nowplayingpodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss this review with other listeners. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I need you. They're coming. I can feel it. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. How much do you want? $200. Okay. Good deal. Could I have had more? You'll never know. You can also help Now Playing by leaving a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Even though I do not know you, I love you. With all my heart, I love you. Now Playing's DC Hitmen Retrospective Series is edited by Arnie. This is a nice town. We have nice people here. We take care of our nice people. You understand me? Now playing credit narration by Brock. We heard his voice. The man with the voice, the man with the throat. The guy's got a throat. Come on. Now playing is not affiliated with the producers of these motion pictures. All movies discussed on Now Playing are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. So it's like that, huh? Yeah. It's like that. The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. As the authenticity of this document cannot be verified, it could be an elaborate forgery created by the terrorist as easily as it could be the deranged fantasy of a former party member who resigned for psychological reasons. Any discussion of this document or its contents will be regarded at the very least as an act of sedition, if not a willful act of treason. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2019, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Frank, how many times have I told you, you cannot trust the system? I told you, when you're in the system, they switch the flip, and you're done. Timothy Haddish, Timothy Haddish. We didn't find out Don Corleone's. We didn't find out Don Cor. We didn't find out.